Generating traffic and sales can be a challenge for online merchants. But selling on the Walmart marketplace puts your products in front of millions of customers who shop on walmart.com. And right now, sellers who join Walmart Marketplace can save up to 50% on referral and fulfillment fees for the first 90 days. So get started today. Head over to marketplace.walmart.com savings. That's marketplace.walmart.com savings. Welcome to E-Commerce Conversations, a podcast by Practical E-Commerce. What's going on, Internet? Eric Van Holtz back again with another e-commerce conversations. Across the table from me is a good friend, a former beard brander, Felipe with Good Spread. What's up, Felipe? What's up, my friend? How are you? Doing well. I want to give our listeners a little bit of a backstory first. So some of y'all know we are in Target, and the only reason we're in Target is because of the person sitting across from me right now, Felipe. He helped us get our ERP set up, get all the supply chain stuff going on, and made sure that we didn't drop the ball when we served Target. That was, when was that, 2018? Yeah, around 2018. It's quite the project going into Target in, what, 1,500 stores at the same time. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Pressure filled. Yeah. So the thing that I love about you is just your history, all the things that you've done over the years. Like when I first met you, so... Even further backstory, Felipe and I, we rode together, and that's how we originally met. And before that, you had like a, a charcoal business, like a, right. a self-burning bag charcoal or something like that? Yeah, it was actually the first charcoal bag that came uh, with a built-in paper chimney that pretty much made the lighter fluid obsolete. We called it the air draft system, and I uh, had a U.S. and a European patent on it. We were able to get into a lot of retail stores around the country. And then 2008 hit, and it kind of put the kibosh on a lot of plans that we had for the brand. But it was a absolutely great technology. Yeah. So was that like your ideation, or were you working with someone for that? Or like, how do you get these ideas? Yeah, you know, they come naturally. In this case, it's really funny because I was just grilling one day, and I was really upset about the charcoal not lighting the way that I wanted it to light. And I just kept throwing lighter fluid on it. And it seemed absolutely ridiculous and inefficient. So I was like, how the hell can I possibly take this metal chimney, right, that everybody uses to light their charcoal to avoid using lighter fluid into the bag? So I was like, well, what happens if this be cardboard? What happens if I could do it like this and maybe molded fiber, maybe something else? And then I took off and started developing it. The, the idea, literally tearing thousands of charcoal bags apart, trying to figure out the process. Obviously, I got divorced during that time. So often it happens. And my wife thought I was absolutely nuts chasing the reinvention of a charcoal bag, right? So we'll leave that for another time though. But yeah, in about two years down the road, two and a half years down the road, I brought in uh, my uh, first business partner, the Scottish guy who is very methodical engineer. And he was able to come in and really refine some of the things that I had done, which was really fantastic. He was just uh, the ideal partner for the time. But uh, the original IP, the original ideation just was, you know, the right time uh, sitting in front of a grill with a couple of beers in me. So feeling very creative and just not willing to accept that this was the only way to light charcoal. Yeah. Just wanted to make the world a better place. Yeah, it's always about that. Products, yeah. I think, should always be about trying to make people feel better or one way or another help the environment or something that makes sense, right? You got to have a solid value to it. And then you got electrified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In a lot of different ways, right? You know, like three different ways, huh? Yeah. Because you had like the cars to go or not cars to go. What was it? Wait, what was the Austin one? Uh, the Austin Car Share. Yeah, car, yeah. Austin Car Share. Yeah, I was involved in Austin Car Share for... 
I believe, about a year. I was uh, managing their business. It was a really great yeah. project. I guess they weren't electric cars. Yeah, they weren't no, electric they cars. they were regular cars. But it was the beginning. So, yeah. you know, Car2Go came into Austin because of Austin Car Share because we had so many members. They absorbed our members into their base and it made for a great launch for them, which overall, it turned out to be really, really positive. Yeah. And then you, you got into the scooter business. That's the, the electric? Yeah. Yeah. Before uh, my current business, my consultancy company, Shelf Launch, which we typically do six months to a year projects, we uh, got hired by this uh, equity company that wanted to launch a new scooter company to compete with other brands in the market internationally. And they hired Shelf Launch and we went for it. I brought the right team in place and we launched in uh, Europe and South America and in the US. And that was a, a one-year project. And it was fascinating because yeah. electric mobility is so important to our future. And to be able to be a part of that was truly a unique experience for me. I think I remember you sending photos of just like, sleeping on the ground in, in China. <laughs> Did I remember that correctly? Well, yeah, China's... China's uh, like sourcing the, the products. Yeah, China's amazing. Actually, if you, I recommend if your listeners haven't been to China, especially for business, their work ethic and the way that they just manage their day-to-day. -day. I, I, I understand. I'm, I'm not naive to think that everything is, you know, they have great labor laws or right. anything like that. But the fact that they get like maybe once, maybe two days off a month and they literally sleep on the warehouse floor sometimes just because it's less expensive and they just stay there till the next shift, right? And that was a great experience for me. I ended up going uh, twice in order to put the manufacturing touches on this e-scooter. And, you know, after a lot of hiccups, after a lot of manufacturing issues, we finally delivered, a, I think it was a total of 45,000 electric scooters. So, and then we deployed them. So yeah. with a lot of great guys in China, some Aussies actually over there, and a lot of brilliant Chinese people we were very fortunate to have them on our team. So that's kind of where I want to segue this conversation is is talking about that supply chain. Because when I think of Felipe, I think of just your ability to be like kind of the behind the scenes guy to keep companies running. Of course, I want to talk about good spread as well. And like that transition from, you know, scooters into, you know, like premium lotion. Talk about that. Like, where was the ideation for that and, and the vision? For the skincare company or for the supply chain stuff? Well, well let's first talk about your vision for Good Spread. Gotcha. Because uh, you just launched like a week ago. Yeah, exactly. two weeks ago. Yeah. So, yeah, June 7th. So for all the listeners, I love having entrepreneurs in on the podcast who are like really early in on the weeds and just kind of sharing all the things that you're going through now. Like, I assume it's just fire after fire, fire. What's going on? Yeah. Well, in the weeds is the best way to put it, especially having worked a lot in the restaurant industry where I was constantly in the weeds. It kind of reminds me of those days. Uh, we just you know, going left and right as fast as you can. However, I think that having had the experience of building businesses in the past, startups, I think, and you know, launching the scooter company worldwide, I think I have a good grips on the reality of startups. And there's not a lot that really surprises me uh, I know that it's going to be hectic. I know that you have to put out fires. I know that it's going to be unpredictable. And I know we're going to make a lot of mistakes. And all of that is okay. All of that is okay, right? The second that you try to fight that is the second where it becomes really obnoxious and out of control. I always go into saying, okay, I'm going to make mistakes. It's not going to be perfect. And you know, the timeline needs to slide back and forth a little bit as much as you can, but you just have to control the process overall, the overall picture of the timeline, which is exactly what we did with the scooter company when we delivered exactly on the day that we were supposed to deliver, right? Not a day late. And same thing with the skincare company. I don't know if you knew, Eric, but I had 
something that's impacted me in rowing, actually, which uh, especially because you know, our hands get so torn up, is I used to have, a, and still do sometimes, have eczema, an eczema problem. And mm-hmm. when I was a kid, I used to get annihilated by eczema. And so I always used to use a lot of lotions. My mother used to buy me lotions. Everybody used to try, hey, try this, try that. And so you could say I'm, a, I'm somewhat a aficionado of, uh, of lotions, right, of all types, accidentally. So it's a project that I've always wanted to get into because to date, I still have a hard time finding products that I can identify with, which is, you know, you have your drugstore brands, which are typically pretty solid, great value, but don't resonate with me, right? There's not a whole branding and look and feel to it that really attracts me. And then you have your really high-end brands, the ones that are a little more snobby, not very intelligible, hard to figure out, but you buy them because they're sometimes a high price gets you, or sometimes the fact that you are confused about how the product is named, it kind of gets your attention in a weird human way, right? Mm -hmm. Which I've yet to understand, but it does get us and it traps us, right? So that's where Good Spread came along, which is my desire to demystify the high quality skincare experience. And I always say substance over hype and bring in a product to market that is very approachable, that is intelligible, that is gender neutral. So it's very inclusive. And that is incredibly, incredibly well-developed when it comes to ingredients. In our case, we don't even use U.S. standards. We use only EU standards that bans many, many more ingredients. So it's harder to formulate for that reason. It takes longer. There's more project management involved. But it's worth it when the consumer puts it on, right? And I know that, I know that we're a new company. I know that we have a lot to prove. But it all starts there. It all starts with the quality. For me anyways, right? Same with everything I've always done. It starts with perfection. And well, at the end, you just want to make people feel better with good product and make sure they don't like have uh, any reactions to any of your ingredients. And that goes back to just research, research, talking to the right chemist and implementing the right plan. So you decided to launch with three products, correct? Yeah, three SKUs and the kit yeah. that, that takes all three products into one kit. So walk me through the strategy of that. How did you decide on three products versus 10 products or one product? And I'm just curious about that. Well, I mean, the biggest reason has to do just with the fact that it's self-funded. And when you compare self-funding to the way that the industry works going into it, which I've already had experience with, which is you have to deal with manufacturing MOQs. And as soon as you realize that the MOQs in many cases are, you know, five to 10,000 units per SKU, you should already know in your financial projections that, you know, you need X cash to produce X product. And if you can't get there, you need to dial it down and be more conservative about it and really focus on the quality of the brand and the ingredients instead of how many you're going to have. And that's something that we actually pride ourselves in. It's three SKUs and one kit of all three SKUs. They're all extremely high quality is it a small line? Absolutely. But, you know, we have a lot of room to grow. Yeah. So what is the strategy between the three different products? Like how do they serve your audience? And what was the strategy of starting with these three? Because it sounds like you've got, you know, many more ideas for building out the product line. Yeah. So as I was developing the, when I was doing the competitive analysis of the industry, uh, it's something that I was really fascinated with, the way that companies position themselves in the skincare industry. So I really geeked out on that for a while. And what I found is that everything was always so complicated and it was always like half the stuff was over my head. I didn't even understand some of the product names and they weren't necessarily useful products or ingredients. And so one of the things that I did was like, you know, our skin doesn't feel the same every day. It's not about separating body parts like face lotion or body lotion or toe lotion or knee lotion or nighttime lotion or daytime lotion. 
the industry does this because the more they can split our bodies apart, the more product they can mm-hmm. sell. They do that with gender. They do that with races. They do that with body parts. They do that with everything because it equals cash, right? So the more that I looked at it, I didn't want to be one of those brands. And so what we did is we implemented a really straightforward approach to skincare, which is we have three product. This is obviously also limited by the fact that as a startup and self-funded startup, I can't develop 10 products at once, right? I just don't have the the money or the manpower to be totally frank. So what I did is like, you know what we really need? We need, we really need an approachable brand that says light, medium, and heavy, depending on how you feel. Use it anywhere you want, your body, your rules, right? So we don't want to tell you where to use our stuff. It's none of our business. If it feels good on your face, it's going to be a great face lotion. If you're coming off the mountain after skiing, you're going to want to use our heavy lotion, which is called Heavy Does It, right? If you're just needing a little bit of a touch-up, just refreshing, you're going to use to keep it light. And if everywhere in between, it's the happy middle, right? And these are all very high quality, but they're meant to be used light, medium, and heavy without making it complicated. And so far, I think people really are you know, grabbing onto that. Are you seeing your customers lean toward any of the products early on, or are you getting some of that early data on what the trends are, I guess, in the marketplace or the trends with your customer base? Yeah. Hard to tell. It's still pretty early on. However, the heavy does seem to really have a more profound effect on people's skin than the other ones. And it makes sense because it is a heavier lotion, a little bit more oily that you can really just a little dab will do kind of a thing. So it really stays with you. And I think people that have psoriasis or eczema or skin problems really like it. And they touch up with the other ones. Heck, I've had some customers that are already mixed and matching them, which is something that we encourage. I mean, why can't lotions be mixed and match? It's one of the things I've always, it's like, why not? It's like you, when you mix them, they don't blow up, right? right? It's, they're, they're not designed to do that. Lotions and skincare should be used in a way that feels good to you. And if you want to take our heavy cream and put a little bit of light in it because you like some of the texture, have at it. And we encourage it. And that should be the whole point of uh, self-care. So you launched, you have a beautiful website. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Goodspreadskincare.com. Yep. Goodspreadskincare.com. And I know you're not a web developer, are you? You didn't build that out yourself, did you? I did. Really? I did most of it with some help from a, a local company helping me out uh, left and right, only because I tend to be a little bit of a control freak in this process. And yeah. I wasn't able to get my vision across to the designer. So I learned Shopify. I designed it myself. And then they helped me with some other things. They obviously, this company did help me with the initial brand ID. Okay. So they already had a lot of the assets that I could just plug and play into the website. Mm-hmm. But the site itself and the structure, I, I did myself. What about the photography? Did you work with a photographer for that? Or? I did. Through that same amenity, we uh, developed a lot of the photography. So is the company just you right now? or? Yeah, I'm a sole partner and self-funded. Yeah. So it's incredibly exciting. Walk me through what your day looks like. How do you identify the tasks that you need to work on? Like, you know, it's just like there's so much to do, I would imagine. Tons. You know, like. What are you doing today? You know, like, well, today I'm here with you, you know, as my buddy, Eric, which I would miss, although I did miss the first one. Sorry about that (laughs) because I had to meet with an investor. But so for me, when it comes to product development and these kind of startups thing, I'm right now, I feel very comfortable. It is where I feel most comfortable in the mayhem of stuff. Something that I teach also young entrepreneurs is that if you're well prepared for your business, you should not be ever at a point where you're feeling absolutely frantic and out of control. It's all about preparation. 
you know, that goes all the way to the way you deliver the product to the customer, e-commerce strategy, which I know that the show is, you know, likes to touch on. And if you've done your homework and you've developed the product correctly and you've done a unified, you know, taken a unified approach across your entire brand, brand assets, and you've been able to look it down the road and realize that all these digital things that people talk about, SEO and meta tags and alt text and all these things, which sound really intimidating, are really not that big of a deal, right? They're just tools. That's all they are. They're just tools, right? Like a hammer and a nail. They're just tools. What really matters is what happens before then. I always say that the way that I, my best e-commerce strategy is actually to develop an intelligent product and do all the pre-work to that. As a supply chain expert and as a product development expert and as a packaging expert, that's just my preference, right? You can have the best SEO strategy on the planet. You can have the best digital marketing strategy on the planet. If your product sucks, if your product is not good, if your product is not identifying well with people, then it doesn't matter how much money you throw into digital marketing. It starts before that. It starts way before that. And that's something that I always take to heart. Yeah. So you focus on the supply chain, you get things up and running. You know, were you able to leverage some of the relationships you've built from working at Beard Brand or did you essentially have to smile and dial and try to pick up some phone calls and, you know, like pull all the pieces together? Oh, working for Beer Brand taught me an incredible amount about some of the, when I went, you know, talking to some of the manufacturers, when I went to dealing with some of the shippers that we were working on and working with Target and the broker. I learned tons, just yeah. an incredible amount. I just solidified what I already had and just brought it all home. I was like, hey, this is something I can do. This is, you know, it's definitely a challenge, but I can do this. And then with that knowledge, I was able to understand the whole process. And I started identifying manufacturers that would work for me, mm -hmm. basically with smaller MOQs focused on organic and natural, not the big boys. So it took me a while to identify the right partners for manufacturing which I still work with and they've done a great job on the, on the formulas. I would say this is probably one of the most challenging things that we face at Beard Brand. You face it at every stage of the business because finding the right manufacturer when you're small is important. Then eventually you're going to outgrow them. And then it's like making that jump. And sometimes a too big manufacturer, you go to them and, and they forget about you. You know, they don't fulfill your POs because they're working on the big accounts. Yeah. Too big. They can't keep up. They can't, you know, they're always late if you're too big for them. So it is such a challenge. I would, you know, like if there's any insights that you have that you could share in terms of like, how do you really find that right manufacturer? What are the questions you're asking? Are you going on, you know, factory tours? What is the mindset that you're looking for when you're trying to build the right supply chain? Yeah, it's tricky and it depends a lot on the product, right? For example, electric mobility was less complicated, even though it's such an unknown starting out with because you can go to China and find a hundred suppliers. And, you know, if you have some upfront cash you, you can work with them on, they'll do pretty much anything that your heart desires when it comes to electric mobility. They're geniuses. It's unbelievable how they work. And they're more than willing to work at low MOQs and with young companies. With skincare, it's obviously much more difficult. You do have pretty high MOQs. And I've always thought that Going to manufacturing companies is a lot like going into an investment pitch to VCs. It's, it's a very similar approach because these companies, like you said, have a choice to make every day. Am I going to work with this startup or am I going to work with this medium-sized business or am I going to work with this company that has an incredible you know, foothold in the industry? Well, it can go both ways. They can choose the big company, but the big company might be the first one to leave you as well leave you stuck with a whole bunch of manufacturing assets that you wouldn't have invested in if it wouldn't been for that big company. So there is a danger to work with huge companies as well, right? 
Walmart 101 with your supplier. Mm-hmm. Medium sized, sure, it can be both worlds, but they all need to have these a mix of startups that they can grow with to be able to invest in their own assets, you know, equipment 101, right? So I always approach them with an investment pitch or a project pitch and not just going, hey, just, you know, work for me and this is what I'm going to do. No, it's a it's a deck. Like, mm-hmm. this is why you should work with me because it's very difficult for them to take risks on uh, on startups, regardless of money sometimes. Sometimes they just don't have space on their lines to be able to, to work with you. So go in professionally and that's the way that I handled it. It's you got to show the vision to them is the same way you would to a VC. And then once you get their backing, you can negotiate MOQs, you can negotiate all kinds of stuff. Are you just Googling, you know, manufacturers and, and, and are you going on plant tours as well? Or what's your strategy for finding the right manufacturer? Well, COVID totally screwed me up. Right. Obviously. So I did a lot of Zoom calls. So basically a guy walking around, walking around the manufacturing with his computer or his oh, phone, wow. you know, and then I was able to get to the manufacturer that I chose. I was able to get there like a month ago, finally. So that was pretty nice to go there. Yeah, because there's no trade shows or anything nothing, like that to find nothing, out either. Nothing at all. Actually, they're just starting to come back now. And it's, what is it, June you know, 2021? So that was pretty sketchy along yeah. the way, which also meant I had less resources available, less moments where I could gain knowledge because I wasn't able to walk the floors and shake hands, you know, something which I really enjoy doing, actually. But I ended up with a good partner and, you know, they can sustain me for, for quite a while. Yeah. One thing you talked about was uh, you met with an investor last week. Yeah. What is the bigger vision for the the company? Are you looking to take on money and kind of scale and grow and and sell it in a couple of years? Or do you have a a bigger long-term vision? Yeah. I think to meet our financial projections and our goals, both on the sales side and product development side, I think investment is necessary. At least it always has been for me. I've never had a project where I was completely self-funded all the way through. This one has been self-funded because I just wanted to control the process a little bit better, create value, do my proof of concept, show that it's viable, and then bring on investors. It's a way of controlling your equity as well, right? So I'm definitely looking for investment. I wouldn't say silent partners, but the majority will stay with obviously the current management, which is, which is me. It it is a pride and joy kind of company for me. And some of that, I take a incredible amount of pride in developing this product to my standards. So So uh, along the same lines, I think this is a really interesting thing to talk about. Like, you know, if you're in a position to pick investors, you know, like draw out what your perfect investor is. Like, what is that person doing? How are they involved in the business or not involved in the business? Yeah. My investors would ideally be advisors or board of directors, very involved in the, and obviously not day-to-day management, but being there with their expertise. I don't necessarily want an investor that has never had experience in the industry or brings nothing to the table. Angels, you know, are fantastic when they have even you know, experience in the category, for example, connections in the categories, a lot of know-how that I don't have. For me, that would be the ideal investor. And if I can get three or four of those, and then I think we have a really great team, but I do expect them to not be passive when it comes to the to the business. However, I also need angels, non-institutional money right now. I'm in series A right now, so mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty early on, that want to get involved at the high level, but trust you enough as an entrepreneur what you've done with the project at this point that they're able to trust the process. And that process has holes in it, it's got mistakes in it, and they need to see and understand the big picture and bring their assets to the table and their know-how to the table and support the overall goal without coming in and shifting what's already been done too hard. For me personally, with this project, because it's so new, uh, for me, it's important to have that kind of flexibility from an investor. Yeah. How's that process going for you? Like, how do you, how do you find investors? Is it the same way, just smile and dial in or... 
not quite smile and dial through a lot of connections that I've had in Austin for, for a long time. I've been in Austin for, you know, over 20 years. I have a really good network of people that even were with me during uh, the charcoal days that just believe in me. You know, one of the things that happened with charcoal was when 2008 hit, our cash dried up and it was really, really difficult for us. We really could have done a lot better with the project if we would have had a lot of working capital, but uh, it was one of those moments where we had to sell out just to get something. And our, our proudest moment was paying back all our investors, you know, that was the day. Like, so, and I still have a lot of those connections that say, okay, these guys are a solid investment just from a personality standpoint, let alone the project. Yeah. And you cultivate those people over time. So I want to talk, you know, kind of wrapping it up. Like you're the supply chain guy, you know how to make product, Mm. develop product, develop great supply chains. Let's talk about marketing. You know, like you're digging your toes into the sand when Mm -hmm. it comes to like SEO and, and all that. What's your strategy for getting the word out on good spread? Yeah, that's a great question. And to be perfectly honest, it's one of my weaknesses. It's not something that I have tons of experience in like I do in supply chain. I've obviously been around it enough to understand the lingo, but I've never really implemented marketing campaigns when it comes to these kind of projects. Obviously with the charcoal back in the day, that was a long time ago. I don't even think SEO was even out there yet, right? It wasn't even a thing. Car sharing, it was all, it was a different type of technology. And the electric scooter did teach me a lot about app management, app building, and um, you know all those things, which are pretty important. But I think it's, like I said before, I think all of these, these things are a tool. I don't have a massive strategy right now. I Right now, I'm just trying to learn it all, trying to absorb as much as I can. I do know that a strong product, well-developed, does build and matter when it comes to your overall marketing strategy. And I'm trying to follow the things that we have in our pitch deck, which is to follow and unify our, our brand and then use the available channels to get out there and tell people about it, which are all the common ones and or at least the ones that I feel comfortable with right now, right? Which are the website, Instagram, Facebook, being able to sell through those platforms. I'm looking at Amazon. I'm looking at other e-tail opportunities that could offer us some sales here as a startup. So this is one thing that I think I need to work a lot on learn a lot more about. And like I said, it's really is one of my, my weaknesses. And I hope that my partner, which I do hope to bring in someday, uh, equity partners is something that I'm constantly looking for that will be able to cover my weaknesses, right? And especially on the marketing side and the digital side, which I just won't have time to do after a while. Right. So that's more than an investor. I'm more focused on finding that partner exactly the way I did with charcoal, because it's just too difficult to do it on your own after a while. Where can people learn more about you or learn more about your products? Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, well, our skincare company, it's uh, goodspreadskincare.com. You can learn a little bit about my story and my struggles with eczema in there and why I developed the products. It's full of good information about the ingredients that we use. And go online, buy a kit, take a chance on something new, and you won't regret it. It's yeah. a good product. Sweet, man. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's step number one. Just get the product in uh, people's hands and then it'll sell itself, right? A lot of touch points with skincare. It's important to be pretty one-on-one with people, which by the way, which was also impacted by by COVID. So no focus groups, no nothing. So you're yeah. basically testing on your neighbors, right? So it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, know, it's, it's, I know how that goes. Yeah, quite challenging. How does this feel? Uh, it's like, man, yeah, it's, it's complicated, but we did it. Yeah, sweet, man. Well, thanks for swinging by the office. This has been another e-commerce conversations. Hopefully our listeners were able to take a nugget or two away. I know uh, I always enjoy my time with Felipe, whether it be on the water or talking business. So thanks again for coming by the office and cheers. Thanks for having me. 
and keep on growing.